Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello, fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. A new lineup for the pod means nothing as we continue to bring quality listening to our favorite living room six. First, the late game sees a Colts win streak snap as the Steelers seal a big home win. Second, the Eagles extend the Patriots' loss streak to two after the defense, of all things, keeps Brady on a tight rope. And third, of all matchups, there's a shootout between the Jaguars and the Titans as Bortles and Mariota combine for nearly 700 yards and nine touchdowns. Welcome to the 4th and 5 NFL Podcast. I'm your American host, Dylan Baker, and with me today is not the journalist and analyst, Jonathan Harding, that we all know and love, but we have a wonderful replacement, fellow KY man, Mr. Pod Debutante, Chad Coons. Each week, we take a look at all the happenings in the National Football League and bring you the highlights from around the country. On and off the pitch, we'll keep you informed and entertained. So, Turn off your live TVs with videos and people who are paid to do this sort of thing, and let's get started. <laughs> Mr. Chad, how's it going? It's going well, uh, in spite of the weekend result, but we're going to hash into it in a minute. But other than that, it's going great. Thanks for having me on. Yeah, yeah, I think it'll be, uh, it'll be a good time. Again, pod debutante as you are, but sometimes it's just, sometimes it's nice to bring that Kentucky around the world. I apologize in advance that we're substituting John's sonorous voice for another Southern American accent. <laughs> it is what it is. It is what it is. John, of course, is out traveling the world and living every every human being's dream, uh, being in several different countries and, and cities this week. Uh, so we have a fill-in, but no, uh, no, no quality loss, as they say. That's your judge. <laughs> we'll see what our six listeners in the living room have to say uh, <laughs> towards the end of the week. All right, so starting off with some reviews, I know the one that I desperately want to talk about, the one that Chad doesn't even want to consider, is the Pittsburgh Steelers take on the Indianapolis Colts. The Colts, of course, in the midst of a comeback, potentially a good playoff run. And, of course, we'll get into some playoff stuff a little bit later on in the pod. But routed they are. Uh, go, traveling to Pittsburgh, 45 to 10. So I gotta ask you, Chad, 
and I, I, I hope there's not too much negativity here, but, but what's the story of this game? Do the Steelers continue to prove that they have the big play offense, or do the Colts continue to show that there's a desperate need to improve the defensive unit? You know, as kind of cliche as it is to ride the fence, I feel like you saw a good showing of both. We are fence we, riders here, sir. <laughs> yes, well... I mean, we, we definitely had some big plays, and um, the Steelers have a way of going to teams with subpar defenses and really exposing their weaknesses. And I think that's what we saw again. I mean, you have your two receivers in Bryant and Brown who are just physical freaks, and then you have D'Angelo Williams who is just born again and running all over everybody. And then you have the Colts defense who is already admittedly not the greatest I think we're ranked down in like the 26th, 27th range on defense. And we have fill-ins in our linebacker spots. So what we got was a pretty combination of a terrible attempt at a run defense and cornerbacks who just constantly got torched. Well, and I think there was a stat brought up in the middle of the game that uh, that at the very least uh, NBC spent some time on showing that, you know, at least on at least on the defensive side of the ball, all of your major stats, whether it be interceptions or sacks or, or tackles in general, all of your leaders on defense are over the age of 30. Uh, how important is it going forward that the Colts really start to take a look at the at the age gap uh, and start to and start to minimize that as much as they can? Well, I think you see the impact right now that it's important from an injury standpoint. You can say what you want to say about how age and experience helps bring you know continuity to a team, and you get you get a lot out of it. But at the same time, you have to start building towards the future, and you need to get some younger guys in there, and not only get them you know in the team, but actually on the field as well. So we see players like Mathis and Dequell Jackson who pick up injuries. They're older players who are still great, but then we have players that are coming in who are young and hopefully they're getting the reps now that they need to go forward. Fair enough, fair enough. And I think a, I think another older fella uh, that we probably should talk about is is the fill-in quarterback for Andrew Luck right now who continues who continues to be injured. Uh, now Hasselbeck I saw a headline today that said, uh, you know, Hasselbeck shows for the first time this season that he really is a 40-year-old quarterback. He's done enough for the over the course of the past three games. The, the Colts have beaten a stout Broncos team that boasts the number one defense in the league, and then a failing Falcons, and then a consistent failure in the Bucks. However, the offense fell apart today as they were only able to put up 10 points. Uh, what did you see as the issue going forward? I mean, the Steelers in general have a young, albeit electric sort of defense, um, and yet the, the, the Colts found they, they found no pleasure in this game. Uh, where do you think the root of the problem was? Honestly, I feel like there are multiple roots to this problem. Yes, Hasselbeck is old, but he, he has proven himself to be, you know, at the very least a, um, a substantial fill-in for Andrew Luck, who I don't, I don't think you can fill that void at all, but... Hasselbeck has proven himself. I mean, he was 4-0 and starting games this season up until the catastrophe of last night. But uh, let's see. Hasselbeck went 16 for 26, 169 yards, one touchdown, and two picks. That's actually his only game to not break 200 yards this season, and it's his worst game in terms of QBR by over 20 points this season. So we saw a very subpar performance from Hasselbeck 
But we also saw some of the implications from Pep Hamilton getting let go. So you have Chudzinski who comes in. He doesn't know the playbook. He sits up in the box. He relays the calls down to the quarterback coach, and then the quarterback coach gives them to Matt Hasselbeck. He said it's like taking Mandarin and turning it into Cantonese. (laughs) So the only person who really understands Pep Hamilton's offense is Andrew Luck back from his Stanford days. And he's on the sideline with an earbud in. So I think that we see a lot more impact with Pep Hamilton being gone with Matt Hasselbeck in than we would if we had Andrew Luck in because it's just another layer of interpretation that has to take place. And that's what we saw with the delay of game penalty and multiple other times when I was clinching the couch cushions trying to get them to snap (laughs) the ball myself. Well, and speaking of this Colts team, and I know that technically there is another team to talk about, but uh, the last question that I have for you about the Colts is that with the exception of the Buccaneers this uh, this year, which was last week in which you guys won by 12 points, uh, every result since week three has been decided by less than 10 points, win or loss. As a Colts fan, is, is this encouraging for you and this Colts team that they're keeping it close, or is it more of a worry that one side of the ball is consistently not quite doing enough or just barely doing enough? I think that the latter is probably the case. Um, our offense is much better on paper than they've been performing, but our defense has been the peculiar part of the season so far think the reason that the games have been so close is because our defense does just enough to keep us in it for the most part, and then it's up to the offense to kind of either put the game away or to claw themselves back into it. But as we saw last night, when the defense does not play well, games aren't decided by seven points or less. Fair Mm -hmm. enough, fair enough. Now, because I know that you and I, again, being buddies, coming from the same city, We've had our we've had our talks and we've had our rants and discussions about one Andrew Luck uh, and and his performances this season, his current injury uh, status. And I know this is a bit off the cuff, on the fly, but I just kind of wanted to to have you bring to bring to the listeners, all six of them, uh, kind of your thoughts on Luck and and what you think of him, not only as not only as a as a player, but as an as an individual within a unit. Go. Well, I think that. Um... As a player, you can say what you want about his numbers this season. Every, Not everybody, but there are many pundits out there that you know, talk about how he's regressing over the years. But I think that you have to take into account everything that's been put on his shoulders. For the first three seasons of his career, he was asked to pretty much take the offense and do everything with it by himself. He wasn't surrounded with the right players or necessarily was put in the right position to succeed. So there was that combined with the fact that he always had to deal with injuries and his skill players, and he was just really kind of shackled by the run game, which is just as much at fault from the O-line as it is from the running back standpoint. But I won't really get into that as much as the fact that the defense has not really helped him out at all since he's been in Indy. So... From a player standpoint, he's had a lot to bear. But from a person standpoint and how he leads the team, he takes that on and he he's unwavering. He's the only person that I've seen on the sidelines in our rougher games this year that doesn't look discouraged. And I think that says a lot about his mindset and the leadership that he brings to the team. So I take it then to mean, of course, that 
that you you don't necessarily see this sort of aggression. You see more of the uh, of a the, this sort of progression of an individual, much like much like one Peyton Manning. You know, whenever he originally came to to the Colts and essentially inherited a crap team, and you know, based on the way that the administration handled that, they said, okay, here's the guy. Uh, in Manning that we can build around, and then they did so, which eventually led to a long-awaited Super Bowl win. Do you see potentially, of course, it's hard to tell right now so early in one's career, especially when there are so many issues uh, revolving around the Colts as a both offensive and defensive unit. Do you see this same sort of potential out of luck? I know many do. Many, as of this year, are starting to doubt it, but I do want to get your opinion on it. Well, if you look at the comparison stats between Peyton and Luck, which they like to show almost every Colts game. Of course. They're in very similar spots through their first three or four years in the league. The difference to me, um, limiting Luck's potential, is going to be based on how the Colts build a team around the franchise. So we're going to have to see major increases in defense. I think we should go invest seven draft picks in the O-line. That's my opinion next year. But it's going to really come down to the tools that they give him. Because football is an 11 versus 11 sport. You need 11 guys out there who are on the same page and invested in the team and their goals and have the skill set to make sure the team can succeed. It doesn't come down to one person on a game sense. There can be individual plays, but when it gets down to it, you have to give Andrew Luck the tools to succeed. I absolutely agree, and I think you can see a lot of that too, you know, through through some of the Steelers' uh, history since the since the acquisition uh, of Ben Roethlisberger. You know, at, at one point in time, after you see a Jerome Bettis leave, after you see a Heinz Ward leave, uh, after you see basically his offensive line break down between 2008 and 2011, you know, there's it comes down to how well, and like you said, how well an administration is willing to build around a set of quality players. And how well they fill in those gaps, you know, especially with the Colts. You look at guys uh, like Robert Mathis, who is going to be, it's going to be painful to lose a guy like him. But if he can be replaced within a year or two, then all of a sudden, you know, you have to take into consideration the quality of the administration that's that's taking care of this team. And obviously, there is care indeed that's needed uh, of the of the Colts team right now, but only in the coming years, in the coming draft picks, in the free agency acquisitions, are we, are we really going to see just how well the Colts are going to bank on a guy of such quality uh, like Andrew Luck. And last but not least, I do want to touch on the Steelers for a moment. I know that we're going to talk a little bit more about them uh, later in the pod, but you know, once again, with Le'Veon Bell out, we see D'Angelo Williams find room and rush for about 130 yards. Uh, Antonio Brown and Martavis Bryant continue their this sort of, you know, like you say, athletic freakish dynamism, and Roethlisberger stays on point, and more succinctly, he stays healthy. With the division out of the question right now, since the Bengals have had such a stellar year, how realistic to you is a wild card berth for the Steelers team? I think that they have a very real shot still. You look at the teams that are kind of in contention for that wild card spot, you have the Steelers, you have Kansas City, and you have the Jets. They're all sitting at 7-5. and five. So you look at the games that they have left. The Steelers go to the Bengals, then they play the Broncos, then they're at the Ravens and at the Browns. Kansas City has the Chargers, then at the Ravens, Browns, Raiders, and then the Jets, which I think they could have a couple stumbling blocks here. They have the Titans at home, then they go to the Cowboys, but then 
the two significant games to me are the Patriots and then they go to the Bills, which the Bills are sitting at 6 and 6, but I feel like they can still with their defense give the Jets a little bit of a hard time. So, if the Jets come down and they drop to the they drop to the Pats and they drop to the Bills, then it comes down to KC and the Steelers and I feel like they have a pretty good shot to still kind of sneak into that wild card spot. I can't say I'm angry at hearing that prediction, sir. And, of course, uh, as I said, we'll talk a little bit more about playoff predictions and, and some of these wild card spots a little bit later in the podcast as we get through as we get through the reviews. But moving away from this game, which, again, I was delighted to see. Chad, perhaps not so much. Uh, we're going to move on to another one, and uh, honestly, a bit of a stunner. Um, <laughs> Philadelphia, who have just been... After an interesting offseason, after seeing this Philadelphia experiment, uh, you know, a sort of mad scientist uh, generated by Chip Kelly, uh, we've seen the, the majority of this season that it's it's been for the most part a failure. But they come up absolutely huge as they travel to New England and beat the Patriots 35-28. to Now, the Eagles' offense combined for less yardage than Brady alone. But the defense puts them in great positions, uh, you know, ha- having a huge, huge interception for a 99-yard return uh, and another one in which Brady, who, who typically, again, it's Tom Brady. There's only so much that you can say about him uh, that isn't, you know, making me sound like a broken re- broken record. But, uh, again, how, how huge was this defensive performance? And, and more importantly, how, how shocking was it? I think that um, when you think of a Chip Kelly team, you think of a sexy kind of offense. And we got the opposite of that this game, but it worked out well because to beat New England, you can't rely on a shootout with offenses. As much as I hate to admit it, Brady is just so far up there in quality and he's got the weapons to work with regardless of the injury situation. So if you're going to beat New England, you have to have that gritty defense. And I think that what we saw out of the Eagles was just that I had a stat where they had the red zone pick six, a blocked punt for a touchdown. And then Darren Sproles returned that punt for a touchdown. That's the third time the Eagles have done that in NFL history. And they're the only team to do so. So I think that the defense and the special teams kind of put the game on their back and helped the offense out when they really needed it. Well, and speaking of offensive, specifically offensive players that need help, uh, you know, last year's rush leader in DeMarco Murray finds less carries than in this game, a more explosive Darren Sproles. And just as a sort of, uh, mini prediction, uh, you know, as we, as we get closer and closer to this offseason, who goes first? Does DeMarco Murray, uh, get panned off as a, as a failed experiment or does Chip Kelly get panned off for doing the same? Here's what I think is going to happen. If you look at the production of DeMarco Murray being as far down as it is, he had eight carries for 24 yards this last game. He's obviously been demoted. He's averaging 10 carries less per game than he was last season with the Cowboys. And I think DeMarco Murray's, in my opinion, a great back. He's shown he's shown that he's proven himself, but I feel like a lot of his success as the rushing leader last year was due to that Cowboys offensive line. However, however, Darren Sproles did have the explosiveness, and sometimes when you're on, you're on. But I feel like Murray's going to kind of move into that second spot. However, I don't think they're going to get rid of him, and here is why. He's just signed that five-year contract, 
and he's got about 12 million guaranteed right now. So it would really be more expensive for the Eagles to let him go than to have him sit on the bench. They would eat up about $13 million in dead money if they were to trade or cut him. So that's something I don't foresee them doing, especially when they would have to pay somebody else to take his spot. So I feel like if anybody's going to go, it would be Chip Kelly. But Chip Kelly did say the other day that he's going to honor his commitment with the Eagles. As far as you want to take that, I mean, we don't know really what that means. He's always been a bit ambiguous with this. But I think it's going to come down to, are the Eagles going to hold him to that commitment? There have been some rumblings, some rumors, which at this point I equate to transfer speculation, you know, months before a window opens in the Premier League. (laughs) But there have been speculations that Tennessee are going to get on the phone and see if they can't get Chip to come reunite with Marcus Mariota. But right now I don't see that happening. I feel like... Chip might stay for another year, and if it's just as bad as this year, then then we might see something the next year out. But definitely DeMarco is going to stay, and I predict that Chip will stay for at least one more year. Okay, well, and I guess uh, I guess to follow that up, um, how important is it uh, that, that Chip Kelly, if he does indeed stay one more year, how, how important is it that he goes out and he gets a quality offensive line? Because... When Darren Sproles is more effective than DeMarco Murray, there's there's a problem not necessarily with the player, because I'll absolutely agree with you. DeMarco Murray uh, is much like Emmett Smith in the sense that he always had a quality offensive line leading in front of him. So how important is it, that, do you think, that in the offseason that Chip Kelly takes the same tact that you would hope that the Indianapolis Colts administration does and spends, you know, as you say, all seven picks on an offensive line? For Chip Kelly... What is really going to determine that is if he's going to try and make this thing with DeMarco Murray work or if he wants to see how Darren Sproles can do. Because they're two very different backs. DeMarco Murray needs blocks and holes. He's a very, you know, straightforward runner. Whereas Darren Sproles has that ability to make people miss. And I think that's why he's having more success right now because he doesn't rely as heavily on a thriving offensive line. Well, and he's always played with a crap offensive line. I mean, Darren Sproles is, you know, much like Sean Drone in the sense that he's been on several different teams and none of them have had a quality offensive line. So to be fair, it's not like he hasn't experienced this before. Exactly. And, I mean, it, it helps for the run game, but, I mean, offensive lines are, you know, largely there to protect your quarterback too. So I think it would be wise for Chip Kelly to invest in an offensive line. If anything, it's, you know, in, it's a gesture of good faith. But I think that, you know, maybe maybe not going out and spending all seven picks, but if they could if they could kind of, you know, make it a little more stout, I think that would help things all the way around on the offensive end. So I guess another question to be asked is, in a crap NFC East, the division is entirely still up for grabs. Uh, currently, the Eagles sit at 5-7. and seven. The Giants also sit at 5-7. and seven. And depending on how uh, the result being played right now continues to go, which at, at the current time is about 9-9 nine to nine with the Redskins versus the Cowboys, with about four minutes left to go in the fourth quarter. So I have to ask, you know, with the potential for three five and seven teams, if not a six and six team that you know barely is leading this this again, as I say, crap division. Uh, I've got to ask again, just as another mini prediction, uh, who do you think takes it? Well, the first thing I have to say is that I cannot believe 
there is a time in this league where there's a division worse than the AFC South. <laughs> and I'm happy for that because it takes the attention off of how my Colts are struggling and still leading. <laughs> However, um, when you get divisions like this, where everybody's really close and the the records aren't great. I mean, they're they're terrible. Let's be honest. You said crap like three times already. So um, I think it comes down to staying power. And what I really mean with that is who has the most? It's going to be a division of attrition. So for me, I look at the quarterbacks and the defenses. Who's got the better quarterbacks? Who's got the stronger defenses? So you look at the Giants on a three-loss streak. Um, I don't think they are going to be trending upward anytime soon with that. I feel like they've kind of dug themselves into a hole where they, I just don't see them coming back from it. So I don't know if you look at the other teams, I just have a gut feeling that the Redskins are going to hold on based on their defense and the fire of Kirk Cousins. Well, and switching over to the losing team here, which uh, again, I can't believe is actually new England. Um, I, the question has to be asked, you know, uh, as we said at the at the very beginning of the pod, you know, a ten and zero team drops to ten and two on the back end of the season, and they lost to to not so hot teams both times. Uh, are the defending champions collapsing a little bit, or is this a, is this simply a slip up towards the end of a long season where the Patriots know that they're going to make the playoffs? I don't think there's a reason to make too big of a deal out of this two game skid right now. Um, as as I mentioned earlier, they've had some injuries. Let's see, Gronk was out, Edelman was out, Lewis was out. So they've got some key players on offense who are you know sitting with injury. So I feel like sometimes that's enough to take a good team off their game. Belichick is, I mean, he's he's an amazing coach. He's always got a game plan. But I feel like if you if you take away enough of your skill players on offense, it kind of ties your hands. And I think that's a little bit of what we're seeing here. The Pats' defense isn't as good as it's historically been, so that's not helping them either. But I feel like once some of these players start coming back, Belichick's going to find a way to outmaneuver the injury situation, and I don't see them having a problem making the playoffs or even winning the division at this point. Well, they don't have the toughest schedule coming up either. They travel to Houston before taking on the Titans, before traveling to both the New York Jets and Miami to take on the Dolphins. It's not a tough schedule, but again, after a loss to the Broncos, uh, in which, you know, uh, they lose to, you know, practically a rookie quarterback in Brock Osweiler, who's getting his first starts this season, and then to the Eagles, who, you know, uh, very rarely put up 35 points. I, I, I find it hard to believe to a certain extent that this is just a two game skid, but at the same time, you also can't take away what Tom Brady can do whenever the pressure is on, as he's as he's proven to do over the course of many many seasons in the NFL. Um, so it's going to be interesting to see how this one plays out, especially with the Jets for once coming in so hot. But again, we'll talk about all this fun stuff a little bit later. I want to move on to this last game because it was just terribly interesting. Just two weeks ago. Jacksonville played Tennessee, and Jacksonville wins 19-13. to Very low-scoring game. Neither offense looks good. The defenses don't look really all that good either, but they, they end up being the difference maker as the low-scoring affair uh, you know, goes to Jacksonville. But in this game, a 42-39 to win 
at Tennessee shows basically, uh, you know, this young quarterback playoff between each other with Blake Bortles throwing for five touchdowns and Mariota getting three in the air before cracking off an incredible 87 yard run on his own. So I, I, I gotta, uh, this one's a bit of an odd one. We've been watching Blake Bortles for two years now and Mariota just entered the league in April. Who's shown you more so far with their tenure in the NFL? You know, I think it's a little hard to say at this point. Um, Bortles has very much been under the radar, but to me, he seems like he could be a long-term solution for this Jags team. Um, Mariota, I don't think we really have enough of a sample size yet. Um, he's definitely shown shown what he can do in his first season, and that 87-yard run made me think back to the days when he was in a Ducks jersey, but... Um, all in all, I think it's it's still a little soon to tell. But if you ask me who had the higher upside, I would have to go with Marcus Mariota. Well, and I guess a lot of it kind of depends on how you want to run your offense. The Tennessee Titans have always had uh, historically quarterbacks who, who, who tend to be a little bit more mobile, uh, whether it's Steve McNair way back when. Uh, whether it's Vince Young, of course, they tried to beat the mobility out of him and turn him into a pocket quarterback, which was one of the worst, worst failed experiments I've seen in the NFL in a long time. But Blake Bortles, what I like about Bortles is that whenever he's, he, he to me, he kind of reminds me of Andy Dalton, who I still can't believe has been in the league for four or five years now. Um, but with Bortles, when he's on, he's on. And he's on with a crap set of, uh, of, uh, you know, of receivers. You know, you have Allen Robinson, who's, 153-yard, three-touchdown performance was the first time a, uh, you know, as he broke a 1,000 yards, it was the first time that a Jacksonville receiver had broken a 1,000 yards since 2005. And yet, again, Bortles is able to get it done with this set of receivers. Mariota doesn't necessarily have the best options at his hand with Doriel Green, Beckham, Delaney Walker at tight end, Kendall Wright as as the other main receiver with Harry Douglas coming in every once in a while. But, you know, again, you're looking at a 42-point performance by Tennessee and a 39-point performance by Jacksonville. Again, these are both technically small sample sizes for both quarterbacks, but even if they're playing against weaker defenses like, like the Tennessee defense or the Jacksonville defense, I still find it, in both cases, encouraging to see that there is that sort of, there is that sort of ability there. I feel like this was one of those games where they kind of just took the training wheels off and, you know, they just they were both fine with letting that be a shootout. And it was, I mean, with the sample sizes being so small, this was honestly a pretty good showcase for both quarterbacks. Um, you kind of mentioned that the receivers are not the greatest for Jacksonville, but I really feel like there's a lot of potential there on the offensive side of the ball. Um I think that you know these guys are all young. They're all first and second year players. I mean, with Yeldon Robinson and you know with the addition of Julius Thomas too. I feel like if you had to say who had the better weapons, I feel like Bortles definitely does at this point. But I think Marcus Mariota has that kind of it factor where he can he can take over a game and kind of just you know wreck a defensive scheme. They have, you know, they really have to plan for him, and he can kind of, you know, as we saw with his touchdown run, just take a play and make it his own. And I don't know that Bortles really has that same factor. He's a very solid quarterback, but I feel like he's a little more dependent on his weapons. Well, and I know again, this is a little bit on the fly, um, but I know that Jonathan and I and I have talked about on several different occasions with several different teams the importance of. 
Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous to your contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass? So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Uh, of some sides, uh, like the Bengals. Uh, and the Panthers, who have gone off to incredible starts this season. Um, you know, uh, both of these teams have built defense first and then focused on the offense later on, and it's proven fruitful to them. But for these teams, they seem to both be working on the offensive side of the ball first and, and, and hopefully building a team that can, that can, you know, work with this sort of shootout situation and then worrying about defense later. Do you think that offense first, defense second is, is a good model to have or have, you know, because we've seen this sort of presence with, you know, young quarterbacks for both teams coming in, uh, and ultimately failing and moving on to, to, you know, to other sides in the NFL. Do you think that it's just, it's an experiment that will continue to fail? I think it's a popular experiment right now. Um, talent is much more salient when you get to the quarterback position. They're just under the spotlight. But not to bring up the Colts again, but we have a very similar example if you you know push it back three years where Andrew Luck was picked and then they just brought in all these Sanford guys on offense and we started revamping our receiving core. And little attention was really paid to the defense until, you know, last season maybe the season before when we started bringing in some veteran guys and what that does to a young quarterback when you when you don't have a defense that's well established it puts a lot more onus and a lot more pressure on them yes it might be a sign that you have faith in them but when you build offense first it helps the quarterback when when he's on the field trying to make plays but in a game sense if you have a defense that can't put the quarterback in a position to manage the game, then you're, it's a pretty big ask for a rookie or second, third-year quarterback to take the team and put it on his back. Yeah, I absolutely agree. And, you know, again, you know, with with the improved records to a certain extent of the of the Titans and the Jaguars this season, it's it's clear that to a certain extent they they might have broken the code and, and might end up pushing on depending on how this next offseason goes. But Again, you're also looking at a big ask on the defensive side of the ball. While, while I agree in the sense that 
you know, not having a strong defense does indeed hurt a rookie quarterback uh, or, you know, these young quarterbacks because they have so much to do. At the same time, I feel that it's, it's a little bit more difficult to, to build a defensive unit from the ground up because you can find any old dynamic player on offense who's able to get something done. And all it requires is a connection. Whereas the defensive side of the ball is a lot more about is a lot more about team play and gang tackling and making sure that you have a quality pass coverage scheme. And while the defensive coordinators for both of these teams have improved over the years, at the same time, you're looking at positions in which most, if not all, of the 11 selected can be upgraded. And I, I feel that I feel that before we see a, a quality Tennessee defense or a you know a, a solid Jacksonville offense, I, I feel that we're still uh, you know uh, that's still a long way away. And I think that's part of why we're seeing this this system of picking young quarterbacks and letting them start. I think it's almost akin to a get-rich-quick scheme because you do see more of a direct effect on offense when you stick a playmaker in than you do on defense because defense is all about reacting and coordination and communication. So um, while it's much harder to build up a defense i feel like in the long run it's the more fruitful thing to do all right and on to the rest of the games in quick headline fashion uh just to run through the rest of your weekend uh the detroit lions blow a 17 to nothing first half lead over the packers of all teams to concede 27 to an ailing green bay side looking to get back on track that's such a detroit thing to do i feel like I feel like you can almost make them a verb right now. Just <laughs> hashtag Detroiting. You know, yeah. And nobody does mask. it better than them, to be fair. Nobody does it better than them. I, I feel for for Michigan right now with that one. Mm. It's what an ugly way to lose. <laughs> yeah. And especially divisional, no less. Um, the, the New York Giants are a second quarter team this weekend, uh, and the Jets are clutch to push the game into an overtime that settles the Battle of New York to this Jets team. I'm still, uh, you know, especially since this is your first time on, I'm still surprised with how well the Jets are doing. I know. Um, they weren't they weren't my pick to do as well as they're doing this year, but I think this game in particular, we saw where Eli is still kind of on the fence with that elite discussion. As he has been. So long as he doesn't have receivers that can catch the ball on their forehead, then... He may not make it into the <laughs> status. <laughs> well, you know. <laughs> All right, St. Louis are stagnant, while the Arizona Cardinals are anything but in a drastically one-sided affair. Man, Carson Palmer again, though. Yeah, I just, I don't know. Again, he's one of those guys who, at least to me, seems like he flies under the radar, and the Cardinals seem like they're a, a no-frills kind of team with the humble Larry Fitzgerald. But they're getting it done, um, so props to them. It'll be interesting to see what their playoff run looks like. Uh, the Buccaneers, though, continue their unexpected rise as the Falcons continue their unexpected fall as they lose their fifth straight and are potentially out of playoff contention. Man, I, I remember at one point where we were talking about the Falcons as a quality team, and now they're—it's. I mean, it's the complete opposite. I was right there with you. I was I was buying in on Matty Ice and the boys getting it done, but now it kind of looks like the Falcons have gotten their wings clipped. I don't really know how to explain it. If the Detroit Lions thing is consistently being terrible, the Falcons thing is consistently looking good while actually being bad. They're like disguisedly poor. <laughs> 
All right. The Vikings' weaknesses are exploited, though, by the Seattle Seahawks, who continue to build after their crap starts this season. Uh, the Seahawks, again, surprising in their first four or five games, but they are really starting to turn it around as we get closer to the playoffs. Yeah, I think they're kind of they're kind of waking up. the um, The defense is really starting to fire on all cylinders now, and I think that anytime you have Russell Wilson, you have a chance. Indeed, indeed. The Bengals are though the Bengals, while the Browns are unexpected or excuse me, expectedly the Browns. Is there much more to say about this thirty-seven to three win? Not really. No, I think that's pretty straightforward. Let's move on. Cool. So the Bears and the Niners take even performances in every quarter all the way to overtime, and somehow the Chicago defense forget that Torrey Smith is a deep ball threat. How do you forget that fast people are fast, Chad? I, man, I don't even know. I, I was just surprised at that play myself. I just, Torrey Smith is, I mean, he's, you know, a little older, but he's not any slower. I'll tell you what. No, he's not. And again, you know, especially watching that last play, you know, the cornerback there, uh, you know, acts as if he's going to lay it off to the safety, and the safety is just not on the same page. Uh, you got to give props to the quarterback there for making sure that he recognized that. And I'm sure as the ball left his hands, he was just as surprised. My, <laughs> my, my family threw so many curse words out that I cannot repeat. <laughs> oh, they're Bears fans. I forgot. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that was... That was a that was a sad moment, but uh, moving on, the Broncos score all the points in the first half, but much more aren't needed uh, as they beat a struggling San Diego. Now, you know, talking about teams who are disguisedly bad, uh, the Chargers don't really hide it. It seems uh, you know they've got a guy in Philip Rivers who's I mean he's as stout as they come as far as quarterbacks go. I would say probably top half uh, of the league, but man, they just. The offensive unit can't get it done, and the defense can't stop stop leaking points. No, it's it's always funny because it seems like any time I turn a Chargers game on, the first frame that I see is Philip Rivers yelling at somebody, whether he's <laughs> on the field, off the field, it doesn't matter. And I think that just kind of sums up where San Diego is at now: is that Philip Rivers just never stops yelling at a team that just doesn't seem to be able to break that plane. Nope, he is he is like Red from that 70s show. He's constantly angry about something. <laughs> All right, and the Chiefs win their sixth straight after scoring 20 points in the fourth quarter to remind the Raiders that they're not quite contenders just yet. Uh, the Raiders, although they've impressed this year, man, they dropped the ball at the end of this game. Yeah, the Raiders, they're just not quite there yet. I think that there was a lot of excitement around Cooper and they looked for a minute there like they were going to start connecting but it's just I don't know they just they're another one of those teams that just can't break through that ceiling yet no the one thing that I will have to say for Oakland fans though is it seems like between Crabtree and Cooper uh, as their as their main wide receivers with Derek Carr really coming under you know really coming coming under the wing and showing his potential this year as well as Latavius Murray who for the most part has been has been a quality little running back this year. It seems like they have the tools. They just need the glue right now. Absolutely. And last but not least, uh, the Saints come out firing, but the Panthers maintain a perfect season. Cam Newton and Greg Olson are kind of reminiscent of Drew Brees and Jimmy Graham, wouldn't you say? Maybe in the way that they play, but I'll say stature-wise, Newton's a little bit bigger than Drew Brees, and I don't think Graham has the crazy eyes that Olson does. <laughs> Oh, God. Oh, me. All right. Uh, And one last look at the game going on at the moment. 
It looks like the Cowboys have edged out late in the fourth. They're up 16-9 with the ball, 114 left. They have, they have, and that will mean, uh, as we talked about before, uh, an NFC East team, uh, or an NFC East division that has three 5-7 and seven teams contending for the divisional rivalry. How insane would it be, again, with four games remaining in the season, how insane would it be if we had... Uh, you know, five. I guess at that point it would be five and eleven teams. One of them being a divisional winner and guaranteed a playoff berth. Again, I just have to say that I'm happy it's not the AFC South. <laughs> All right. Now, as we've as we've alluded to in a couple of different uh, in a, in a couple of different points at this current podcast, normally Jonathan and I will go through a couple of preview seasons or preview sessions as we've talked about stats, we've talked about records, all these different things, but. As we begin to close out the remainder of the season, we begin to come up on, uh, you know, the sort of playoff phase of the NFL season. There are a couple of things that I want to take a look at with this wild card race. So what we'll do is we'll focus first on the AFC. Uh, and at the moment, I have six teams that are, that are in contention for a wild card berth. I, we have the Steelers, the Bills, you have Houston and the Colts, and you have the Jets and the Chiefs. And what I want to do is just real fast, kind of quick, run through the AFC and talk about some of the contenders uh, as well as their schedules. So with the Steelers, so the Steelers and their remaining schedule are at the Bengals versus the Broncos, and then at the Ravens and at the Browns. The Bills uh, have uh, the Eagles away, the Redskins away, and then two home games versus the Cowboys and the Jets. And Houston uh, have at home against the Pats and then away to the Colts, away to the Titans before a final home game against the Jaguars. So taking this first three here, uh, who, who would you say has, has the most, uh, who, who shows the most promise going into the final games of this season? Uh, I know we've already talked about the Steelers a little bit, but neither of these teams, with the exception of Houston having to play the Patriots and the Colts, neither of these teams really have a big run-up here towards the end. Uh, do you see any real contenders out of this first group of three? I think if you look at just the, the pure team strength, I feel like out of this group of three, the Steelers are the strongest. Um, and then if you look at the schedules, to me, they're all roughly roughly the same difficulty going forward. So if I had to pick a contender out of these three, I would definitely say it's the Steelers. I feel like the Bills have kind of plateaued a little bit, and they're they're kind of struggling to find the throttle again. And then Houston, while I feel like at 6-6, six and six, obviously they still have a chance for the AFC South, I feel like the game against the Patriots is probably going to be a setback, and then the matchup with the Colts will probably decide it. Fair enough, and I think I think the one of the biggest things to take in with 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 this first group of three is that the Steelers almost have a guaranteed loss when they travel to Cincinnati. Uh, you know, it's going to be a tough game at home against the Broncos, but I think easily their toughest game is going to be uh, against Cincinnati. Whereas the Houston's as uh, the Houston Texans, as he said. Uh, are, are going to have to go away to the Patriots. So you have, to a certain extent, if, if I could be so bold to say, a guaranteed loss for each of these two teams in their remaining four. Whereas the Bills are playing, uh, you know, the Bills are playing the Eagles, who sit at five and seven. Uh, they're playing the Redskins, who sit at five and seven, or should be here shortly. Uh, the, the Cowboys, who move to a four and eight record, and then the Jets, who are easily the strongest team out of the group at seven and five. The Bills don't have a tough run-up, but the Bills aren't the best team out of this first group. So I think that's going to be one of the biggest deciders, is how well the Bills step up to the plate and how far, potentially, the Steelers and and the Texans have to fall. 
I think that's probably a fair statement to say. And looking at this last group of three, again, you have the Colts who are sitting at 6-6. Six and six. They go away to Jacksonville. They're at home against the Texans, then away against the Dolphins before finishing up the season at home against the Tennessee Titans. The Jets start off with a home game against the Titans and then travel to the Cowboys um, before taking on the Patriots at home and then traveling to Buffalo. And last but not least, you have the Chiefs, who are 7-5. and five. They take on the Chargers before traveling to Baltimore and then finish the season with two home games, first against the Browns and then against the Raiders. Uh, you know, out of this out of this last three, I feel like it's a bit of a tougher decision decision because you see, you know, all the way up until this weekend, a resurgent Colts. You see a Jets team who's playing, uh, you know, in relation to past Jet seasons, out of their minds. And the same could be said for the Chiefs, who have a you know relatively easy run up in their last four. Who do you think is the biggest contender here? Well, I'll tell you right now: if the Colts don't win the AFC South, they won't be in the playoffs. Looking at the teams that we have available in the AFC. The Jets, to me, look like they have, again, I don't really know what to think about the Cowboys right now. Um, their record's not great, but I feel like they, um, they're they playing okay. And as I say that, Washington just tied up the game with 44 seconds left. Um, okay. But the, the Jets also have the Pats and then the Bills, who are you know, sometimes a little Jekyll and Hyde this season. Uh, the Chiefs by far have the easiest schedule out of these three. I mean, you want to talk about a walk in the park. You go and you play a yelling Phillip Rivers, and then you go to the Ravens, and then you've got the Browns and the not-quite-there-yet Raiders. So I feel like out of these three, it's between the Jets and the Chiefs, but I feel like based on the schedule, it's, it's got to be the Chiefs. Okay, so focusing still on the AFC before we move on to the NFC, uh, you said that the Colts, if they don't win the division, then they're going to be out of the playoffs. So I have to ask, what do you think the likelihood is that the Colts take the division? Well, let's just look. It's To me, it's a two-horse race, no pun intended, between the Colts and the Texans. You look at their schedules, which we've already talked about. I feel like the Colts have the easier schedule, um, but it's going to come down to that head-to-head a couple weeks from now. Whoever wins that game will win that division. Big money riding on the on the week fifteen results. I have to agree, though. Not having to play the Patriots in the run up makes a huge difference. But at the same time, we've seen and and I hate to bring it up, but we've seen the Colts slip up against you know mediocre to subpar teams on several occasions this season. If Absolutely. you had to pick from the Colts lineup of of their last four games, who worries you the most? I don't really know what to make of the Dolphins. Uh, it's, I guess years of watching them play has kind of conditioned me to just look over them. But I feel like the Jags are going to be the Jags. Um, you're going to go to the Texans game. It's at home. You're going to be very concentrated. You know it's a big game. So if they slip up against anybody, I feel like it's going to be the Dolphins. I'd, it, that's a gut feeling thing. I don't really have a reason for you. Sometimes those are the worst feelings to have. Um, so I guess another question to ask is, you know, you say you don't, you, the Cowboys are kind of a uh, kind of a tough nut to crack as far as, you know, how they're going to perform in any given game. You know, for the most part, they've lost. Uh, and again, there's a potential here that they may lose again after taking the lead so late in the fourth quarter. But you see, not only do the Bills play the Cowboys, but so too do the Jets. Do you think that the Cowboys are going to be a problem game for either one of those teams who finish off their season against each other. 
again, it just it just depends on which Cowboys team shows up. I think there you kind of have to give the edge of that to the Jets having a better go at the Cowboys. I feel like they're just the stronger team. Um, the Cowboys could catch the Bills by surprise. You never know. But I, th- I think the Jets will be able to handle them all right. All right, let's move on to the NFC, uh, which I have seven teams picked out. Some of them a bit of a far cry, but I feel like I feel like the NFC is the weaker of the two divisions this year. Uh, so it makes it makes this wild card conversation a bit interesting. So what we'll do is, uh, you know, because the Redskins are still in play, we're going to leave them out for a moment and see if anything happens here towards the very end. Uh, so let's take in this instance then the first three. Which are the Seattle Seahawks, who currently sit at seven and five. Their remaining four are uh, away to Baltimore uh, against the Browns, also against the Rams at home until they travel away to the Cardinals, an admittedly very tough game. You have the Buccaneers, who somehow, some way, I can't tell you how, sit at six and six. They play the Saints at home before traveling to St. Louis, then the Bears at home before they finish their season away at the uh, uh, against Carolina. And then you have the Falcons, whose next game is a big divisional game uh, away to the Panthers, who don't look like they're going to stop you know, winning anytime soon. And then they also travel away to the Jaguars. They play the Panthers again, and then they play the Saints at home as well. Uh, so considering this first three, you have to say that even, especially considering the drop-off of the Falcons, losing five straight, having to play the Panthers twice in their last four, that almost has to push them out of contention, wouldn't you say? Oh, for me, that's that's an absolute death sentence. If you look at the form of the Falcons and the form of the Panthers, I think that there's only one way those games can go, home or away. It doesn't matter. But considering the other teams, you know, you have you have the Buccaneers who also play the Panthers. To a certain extent, at least at this current time, you have to consider that a loss. Whereas Seattle, I mean, they have... They have a bad Ravens team, a very bad Browns team, a mediocre Rams team, but then they finish the season against the Cardinals. Of course, the Bucks, as we said, play the Saints, who haven't been playing well, the Rams, who haven't been playing well, and the Bears, who absolutely haven't been playing well. We'll get into the Bears a little bit later on, of course, but... You know, with all three of these teams, they all play the Panthers, uh, with the exception of Seattle, who still play a strong team in the Cardinals. So you have to imagine that if you take things as they stand, there is a likely chance that each one of these teams is going to drop at least one. The Falcons looking much more likely to drop two. Uh, so uh, pick for me. You know, if we're no, if we know that it's not going to be the Falcons, do you think Seattle or the Bucks have a better chance of getting into the wild card berth? Well, if you look at the Bucks, they've got the Saints, Rams, the Bears, then Seattle has the Ravens, the Browns, and then they also have the Rams. I think it's going to come down to who's more likely to drop that tough game. Is it going to be Seattle with the Cardinals, or is it going to be the Bucks with the Panthers? And I feel like Seattle has the defense to at least keep themselves in the game with the Cardinals, so I feel like based on that, it's it's going to be Seattle for me. I feel like they they have the defense to kind of see them through, whereas I don't feel like the Bucks team is mature enough to get there. Well, and they are indeed on a good run, but I guess the other question that I have about the Buccaneers is, you know, uh, Jonathan and I have been back and forth about this all season. I still can't believe they've made it to 6 and 6 
and uh, John kind of predicted them to be here at this point. So, you know, predictably, there's a chance that they finish the season 8-8, eight and eight, which is a great year for Tampa Bay, but not quite enough to get to a wild card berth. So just as, a again, a sort of mini prediction, considering their last games, uh, you know, do they do they hit 500 or do they drop more than they should and end with a less than stellar record? They'll drop the game against the Panthers. They might drop one more out of their schedule. I don't see them dropping three. So that would put them at eight and eight at least. So I feel like 500, 500 is definitely an achievable goal for the Pan- for the Buccaneers. Sorry. So, I mean, again, that's a good year for the Bucks, but it's not quite enough for the playoffs. If they had their first good year and also made the playoffs, I would be terribly, horribly, disgustingly surprised. So I'm going to have to agree with you there. Uh, And again, putting off the Redskins for now, I want to talk about these last three. All three of these teams are five and seven. So here goes a kind of a wild shot for all of them. You've got the Giants who travel away to the Dolphins. They take on the Panthers, which again is a huge game. Then they also have a great team in the Vikings and then the Eagles, which they play at home. You have the Eagles themselves, who are at home against the Bills, then they play the Cardinals, then they play the Redskins, all three of these games at home in Philly, and then they travel away to the Giants. And last but, well, last but potentially least, you have the Chicago Bears, who take on the Redskins at home, they travel to the Vikings, then they travel to Tampa Bay before taking on the Lions at the at the very end of the season. Um you know, all three of these are long shots, but if one of these teams can somehow make it uh, through these last four games with straight wins and none less, there is a realistic chance um, that, that some of these guys make the playoffs. Now, probably the least likely of those has to be the Bears, who have two, you know, uh, the, the NFC North has two eight and four teams, and I can't imagine that either of them are going to end up eight and eight. Um, are, are the Bears out of it? I feel like they've got to be out of it. I just I don't see them pulling through five and seven at this point in the season. Depending on the situation, is a bit of a hole. So I, I just I don't see them. I don't see them coming through on this. Well, and more realistically, I mean, even if you take these four games, which the Redskins, the Redskins should be fairly easy. The Bucks will prove interesting. And the Lions, I'm sure, will continue to be the Lions. But playing against the Vikings, especially with this last game run up. The Vikings, as you know, are in contention with the Packers for the NFC North, which means they're going to be firing on all gears throughout the remainder of the season. And I'll, I'll have to be honest, I think that's going to be the kicker. Now, even then, if you play, if you play the Bears, uh, or, or excuse me, if you play the Vikings and, and you lose that game, but you win your other three, the Bears do stick at 8-8. Eight and eight. But the Vikings game out of this this group has to be the most important because if the Vikings win, they're finished. The Packers are not going to drop to eight and eight, and a win for the Vikings, even if they lose their last three, puts them at nine and seven, and that effectively eliminates the Bears. So you have to Absolutely. think that this is their one and only hope. No, I, I have to totally agree with that. And one more update on the Cowboys Redskins game. It looks like the Cowboys have gone forward with a field goal. They're up 19-16, about to kick off with nine seconds. So barring a kick return or a Hail Mary, we're probably looking at a Cowboys win. Mm, So we'll touch on them as well while we take these other ones into consideration uh, because these are the three teams of the NFC East that are vying for potentially with the same record 
um, at, you know, uh, for the divisional title. The Redskins, who are playing, you know, more than likely at five and seven, have to travel to Chicago and then they play the Bills at home before traveling for their last two games, first to Philly and then to Dallas. You have to say, out of the Redskins, the Giants, and the Eagles, looking at these three teams, while the Giants have to play the Panthers and the Eagles have to play the Cardinals, uh, honestly, I would have to say that the Redskins probably have the toughest of the bunch, considering that they have not only divisional matchup with the Eagles, but they also have a Bears team, a Bills team, and a Cowboys team who, who are all on par with what the Redskins can do, and that makes it all the more important. Absolutely. I'm right there with you on that statement. And they did just lose to the Cowboys, so we can go ahead and chalk them up at 5-7. 5-7 and seven. Five and seven indeed. So if we completely take them out of contention, then realistically it comes down to the Giants and the Eagles for the NFC East. And considering, again, you, you look at the Giants are almost definitely going to lose against the Panthers. The Eagles are more than likely going to lose against the Cardinals. You look at the other three games for each. The Giants are away to the Dolphins, away to the Vikings, and against the Eagles. The Eagles are at home against the Bills, at home against the Redskins, and then they travel to New York to play the Giants. Which one of these two do you, do you foresee taking the NFC East if you had to pick? That's tough. But I feel like I feel like if I had to pick between the two, I would say that it would probably have to be the Eagles. Just looking looking at the schedule. Oh, I feel like really? the Giants have the Panthers and the Vikings. So that's gonna be kind of tough. Um, the Eagles have a subpar Bills team, Cardinals who will be tough, then the Redskins who just lost to the Cowboys, and then the Giants themselves. So I feel like I feel like based on the schedule, the Eagles the Eagles have the easier road and will probably edge out the Giants for that division. But again, they have that crucial last week matchup that could decide everything. Well, and I think that's what's going to make it more interesting uh, just for this division in general. Not only is it you know potentially the worst division in the league, but also it could very well be decided by that last game. An interesting bit of drama to Week 17. But if we go with your prediction that the Eagles take... The If the Eagles take the NFC East, you're looking at Seattle, the Redskins, the Buccaneers, the Falcons, the Giants, and the Bears. So we're talking playoff berths here via the wild card. If you had to pick, who takes it? Personally, I would have to say I'm thinking Seattle, but that seems to be the easy the easy way out. Do you, do you disagree at all? I honestly can't disagree with you there. Um... When it comes down to that, I think that Seattle has the defense that the other teams simply can't match. And I feel like Seattle's offense helps balance out that team. I feel like even though they had a rough go at the beginning of the season, I feel like they're starting to put the pieces to the puzzle and they're going to they're gonna see this one through. And if you had to pick a sneaker, if for some reason it wasn't the Seahawks. A sneaker. A sneaker. A sneaky snake. A sneaky snake. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Uh, I think I think it could be the Redskins, honestly. Ooh, that's prediction of the day right there. If someone's going to be sneaky, they're going to do it in style. Mm-mm-mm. Well, folks, this has been your 4th and 5 NFL podcast. Uh, looking forward to next week. First, the crap 49ers take on the crap Browns and what is undoubtedly, for the, for the second time in this pod, saying this word three times in a row, crap game of the week. Second, the Raiders will try and turn things around against the Broncos team that's not firing well, just well enough. And third, the Packers will try and prevent complete and total free fall after their comeback by traveling to Dallas that's only gotten worse 
since the season start. I'm Dylan Baker. And I'm Chad Coons. And that's the game. flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here, and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns.